Good morning. And I know you were all waiting for Steve, and that's wonderful, but I get the opportunity to be here today, so you get to hear from me. Pardon? Oh, clicker. Wow. Hey, that's, guess what we're teaching on today? <laughs> Psalm 22. Um, regarding this book of Psalms, doc, or the, the entire book of Psalms, Dr. J. Vernon McGee wrote, the Psalms record deep devotion, intense feeling, exalted emotion, and dark dejection. The Psalms play with all the stops pulled out on the keyboard of the human soul. They run the psychological gamut. This book has been called the epitome and the anatomy of the soul and designated as the garden of the scriptures. They express the deep feelings of all believing hearts in all generations. The Psalms are full of Christ. There is a more complete picture of him in the Psalms than in the Gospels. The Gospels tell us he went to the mountain to pray. But the Psalms give us his prayer. The Gospels tell us that he was crucified. But the Psalms tell us what went on in his heart during the crucifixion. The Gospels tell us he went back to heaven. The Psalms begin where the Gospels leave off and show us Christ seated on the throne in heaven. See, when Pastor Steve asked me to talk because his family was going to Israel, if you've noticed, they're not in Israel right now for some reason, but he asked me to teach this week and he gave me the, um, the choice. And he told me I could choose 22nd Psalm or the 23rd Psalm. First off, I'm honored to speak to you today. Secondly, I was floored when Steve asked me this. You see, for me, there's no book in the Bible that has more personal connection than the Psalms and Psalm 22. And now you know why Steve taught last week on 23 and I get to do 22. <laughs> so there's two reasons this Psalm means so much to me. The first, and to explain my personal connection, I have to go back to 1996. See, back in 96, in February, is when I turned my life back over to God. I was turning away from addictions of alcohol and meth and a violent life. I've spoke about that before. <laughs> the men's, men group, men's group have heard it. Um, but to put it simply, um, my story was man failed me and I blame God. And that led me into 10 years of addiction and away from God. Although I started at that point to turn my life around, I was still having a really hard time reading the Bible. My world had been filled with so many evil things for 10 years that honestly, the word of God wasn't speaking to me. Um, and there's a very important reason why it wasn't. My guilt and my shame of who I was did not allow me to believe that God could love me. My dear saint of a mother gave me a book. She knew I was struggling. She knew I had turned my life around. I was living in her garage. 
Um, so she gave me a book called Psalms Now. And Psalms Now is an extremely paraphrased version of the Psalms. It is not a translation. It, it's not God's word. It's man's interpretation of translated text. But for me, it was a launch point, and it taught me how to pray, and it got me into reading the Bible. I would read a chapter in the Psalms Now book, and then I would read the same book in the Bible. Honestly, sometimes those two readings didn't even come close to meaning the same thing. Uh, this was one of those Psalms. But for the first year, and almost all of my Bible reading was in the Psalms, and Psalms 22 was my Psalm. Let me read a couple of excerpts and imagine a man turning away from a life of sin and crime. And this is the words that I read. Oh God, why have you left me? Why are you so far from me? I can no longer feel you near. I reach desperately, but I cannot find you. I know you are holy and all righteous and everywhere present. The saints of past years believed in you and trusted you, and you responded to their cries. They sought you and found you. It's no wonder your praises were constantly on their lips. But I feel as empty as a bag of wind. I don't really expect people's plaudits, but I sorely feel their criticisms in my life. I risk all in following what I believe to be your will for my life. Further down in this, it continued to speak to me. Uh, I know that you have cared for me through these many years, but God, I need you now. I'm in trouble and I can't find you or feel you near. The closing verses in this version of Psalm 22 became my almost, I would love to say it was my every, but my almost daily prayer for the first year of, of my turnaround. And those final verses in this were, I dedicate myself to you, O Lord. I will serve you whatever the cost or consequences. You are my God. Regardless of my feeling of inadequacy, insignificance, I will praise your name and proclaim it to all the people around me. That's why I say this book taught me to pray, because I didn't know how at that point. God was so far, but not because he left me, but because I left him. See, the second reason had to do with what was directly in the book. So reading this book taught me that God wanted me to talk with him. Be angry, be hurt, cry out, scream, and finally to praise him. That's what the Psalms teach us. David and the other writers of the Psalms cried out to God in every situation. They didn't hold back, and they didn't hold back their, their fears and everything else. They spoke of their hurts and their doubts. They were truthful with God about what was on their heart, and God restored their souls, and God restored my soul. 
The second reason this psalm is so important to me, we're going to dig into next, and that's the biblical text. God used the text of this passage to deal with my guilt, and hopefully those of you that are facing that, your guilt as well today. God does not want us to live in guilt. God had a plan to deal with our guilt. What was it? Jesus, the cross. That plan was Jesus on the cross. How could I hold on to my failures, my wrong living, my sin, when Christ suffered and died for me? Don Smith wrote, there are those in life who imagine sinners being in the hands of an angry God, while others see God in the hands of angry men. God is either a judge or being judged. Perhaps at one time or another, we've all thought about putting God on trial. Sorry, I lost my place there. <laughs> when, when putting God on trial, when tragedy strikes, we prosecutors give evidentiary testimony in our pain that God is either not good or not all powerful. We question God. Has anybody ever done that? Yeah. Yeah, me. Why did you allow this to enter my life, we might say? Where were you when I needed you? Why did you remain silent when I cried out? And I cried out in prayer for deliverance to you. Sometimes our court is hastily put together when bad news is given to us. I regret to inform you that your loved one has been killed in an automobile accident. The test results are back. It's cancer. At moments like this, we feel anger. I felt a lot of anger in my life. Alienation, doom. God seems distant and unsympathetic at those moments. But is there any evidence to the contrary? What's the evidence to the contrary? Does he use pain like a megaphone in our lives to draw him or to draw us closer to him, to his love and his grace? Is he really present in our tears and suffering? Easter's God's answer to that. The pain that we go through has been taken away if we let it. The death of Christ on the cross speaks loudly of his intention to bring about his good plan and perfect purpose for our lives. So the theme of Psalm 22, if you haven't figured it out yet, is Christ, the Messiah. Jesus spoke prophetically about this psalm or the prophetic aspects of this psalm in Luke 24:48. I'm going to read those verses now. If you want to turn there, it's Luke 24 verses 44 through 48. Then he said, or then he, Jesus said, when I was with you before, I told you everything about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. 
There is forgiveness of sin for all who repent. You are witness of these things. So Psalm 22 is the perfect example of these verses because Psalms 22 predicts the pain that Jesus faced during the crucifixion and the pain and his death on the cross. That is what this psalm is about. I'm normally the jokester um, when I get up and talk, but this psalm is one of the most dearest things. And like I said, it's how we deal with our own pain and our guilt is looking at this psalm. So here David sings more as an artist, but also as one of the greatest prophets ever to speak, pointing more to his greater son, Jesus, the Messiah, than ever to himself. Martin Luther, cited by Charles Spurgeon, said that this is kind of a gem among the Psalms. And it is peculiarly excellent and remarkable. It contains those deep, sublime, and heavy sufferings of Christ when agonizing in the midst of terrors and the pangs of divine wrath and death which surpass all human thought and comprehension. So let's dig in, back to Psalms 22, verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I am not silent. Those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Has anyone ever felt that? Yeah. Yeah, I know I have. But what separated me from God? My sin. My choices separated me from God. Not, not God walking away from me. I, I did all the walking. So this song begins abruptly with a disturbing scene. Someone who knows and trusts God is forsaken and cries out in agony to God. While this psalm was certainly true of King David, in his life experience, David was persecuted and faced many hardships. It's even truer of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Jesus desperately and deliberately chose these words to describe his agony on the cross. We read in Matthew 27, 45 through 46. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabastian. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the only place in the Bible that Jesus uses that term for God. He primarily uses the term Father. Remember, the Father and Son were one. The only time Jesus uses the term Eli, my God, is when he was separated from his Father. What separated him from his Father? Sin. Whose? Sin. Our sin separated him from his father. My sin, your sin, my guilt, your guilt is what separates us 
as well. David Gusick wrote, this agonizing cry and the intentional identification of Jesus with these words are some of the most intense and mysterious descriptions of what Jesus experienced on the cross. Jesus had known great pain and suffering, both physical and emotional, during his life, yet he had never known separation or alienation from God, his Father. At this moment, he experienced what he had not ever experienced before. There was a significant sense in which Jesus rightly felt forsaken by the God the Father as he hung on the cross. Horrible as this was, it fulfilled God's loving plan of redemption. Therefore, Isaiah could say in Isaiah 53.10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Because it gave us our answer. It gave us our life. In Psalm 22, let's move on to verses 3 through 5. We read, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. These verses really stuck out to me. Why? Because of what I had in the Psalms Now book as well. We can almost hear the agony of the forsaken one. They cried to you and were delivered. We can almost hear Jesus saying, I cried to you and I was ignored as he hung on that cross. And we move on to verse six. What an incredible statement. But I am a worm and no man in verse six. Spurgeon wrote, this verse is a miracle in language. How could the Lord of glory be brought to such abasement as to not only be lower than the angels, but even lower than men? What a contrast between I am and I am a worm. What are the uh, seven I am statements? I am the bread of life of Jesus. These statements, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the truth, the way and the life. I am the true vine compared to I am a worm. Bill's got a, or there's a fascinating um, story that I'm not gonna get into, Ryan, right now just because of time, but the, the crimson worm, and there's a backstory to research on this, but I dug into it for about 10 hours before I realized that I couldn't do a whole sermon on it and um, decided to move on. But it's fascinating. Look that up, and now I'm going to move on. Psalm 22, verses 12 through 18, is considered the agony of the forsaken one. This is when we get to see what Christ suffered on the cross. Let's read verses 12 through 18. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths. Like a raging and roaring lion, I am poured out like water 
and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for the dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. In the line, I am poured out like water. The forsaken one felt completely empty. He perceived no resource in himself to meet the crisis at hand. Whatever strength or resistance he had was poured out like water. In verse 14, we read, my bones are out of joint. This described an amazingly specific prophecy of the future suffering of the son of David on the cross. Crucifixion is known to be one of the most painful, cruel ways to die. The deliberately awkward and strained position of the crucified man meant that on the cross, Jesus Jesus could say, my bones are out of joint. The person hanging on the cross would have to pull themselves up to take a breath until they no longer had strength to pull themselves up. And at that point, Jesus could say, my bones are out of joint. The amazing thing is David did not know the practice of crucifixion when he wrote this psalm. In his day, there was nothing like it. Um, Yet he described the physical agony of it as a prophet of the Lord about a thousand years before it took place and about 800 years before the practice was even invented. And it wasn't used for another 200 years in the region. Yet David describes so perfectly what Christ went through on the cross. When we read, my tongue clings to my jaw, as was normal for anyone under the agony of crucifixion, Jesus suffered great thirst on the cross. We read this in John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. In verse 16, we read, they pierce my hands and my feet. Perhaps here David's referring to wounds that he suffered, struggling against his enemies. Perhaps he wrote purely prophetically. In any regard, hundreds of years before the Romans adopted the Persian practice of crucifixion, the prophet David described the wounds of crucifixion that his greater son would bear. They look and stare upon me. We read further down. On the cross, Jesus was the focus of not only mocking and humiliation, but also of simple astonishment. As when the centurion said in Matthew 27, 54, truly, this was the son of God? Luke also noted the whole crowd who came together to see, or to that site, seeing what had been done, 
beat their breast and returned. That was in Luke 23, 48. Morrison said, oh, how different is that look which awakens the sinner, with which the awakened sinner directs to Calvary. When faith lifts up her eye to him who has agonized and bled and died for the guilty. Further down, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. As with other aspects of Psalm 22, this was fulfilled even more literally in the experience of Jesus than in the life of David. As was the custom of that time, Jesus was stripped naked or nearly naked for the cross, and soldiers gambled or cast lots for his clothing at the very foot of the cross. John 19, 23 through 24, and Matthew 27 quote this line of Psalms 22 as being fulfilled. Uh, in Matthew 27, 35, it states, they, they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Let's move to Psalm 22, 19 through 21a. But you, Lord, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. My strength hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. Those words, help me. Deliver me, save me. Picture his av at, picturing his adversaries as vicious animals, the dog, the lion's mouth, the horns of the wild oxen. David pled for the help and deliverance the presence of God brings. These lines reflect not the great danger and misery of both David and his greater son, but especially their trust in the Lord as their deliverer. He and he alone was their only hope. So we're going to jump right through, read the rest of the verses 22 through 31 in one shot here. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the, afflicted, the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, My praises shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. And the, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom of the, is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. 
All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. Verse 30, a, a prostrate shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has done this. So who is David talking about in this? You know, first off, my brethren. Those are the people closest to him. The next was, in those listings, the descendants of Jacob, Jerusalem and the surrounding area. All the ends of the world and the families of the nation, the, the rest of the known world. And then to a people who we will be born. 3,000 years ago, this was written. To a people who will be born. Who is that? That's right, you and me. 3,000 years ago, this was written for us. Insane. <sighs> Sorry, I got stuck on that. Verse 26b said, those who seek him will praise the Lord. There is a promise in this that those who seek him, in fact, will find the Lord. And there's no result from that but praise. So I started this teaching telling you, and I quote, God used this text of this passage to deal with my guilt and hopefully yours as well. How in the world could a passage written a thousand years before somebody died on a cross deal with my guilt? Because God, in his infinite love, sent his son to die for me. Died for my sins. Jesus paid the price. If I hold on to my guilt, if you hold on to your guilt and shame, what are we saying? Jesus dying on the cross isn't enough for us. God sending his son to die isn't enough. Can you imagine that we are more powerful than God? That's what that says when we turn away. Is it time for you to let go of those things that you're holding on to? God doesn't want you to have them. He does not want you to have them. If you want to let go of your guilt and your pain, come up afterwards. Let us pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson. Thank you for what you gave us in this psalm, an understanding of what your son went through. Lord, thank you for that gift of salvation that you've given each one of us. All we have to do is say yes. Thank you for that, Father. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.